0: through the book of Revelation uh, because our world is changing. Jesus is coming back and he wants us to know what's coming up and he wants us to be prepared. So, you know, a person that was prepared for any eventuality at night in first century would take an oil lamp, uh, which was made out of clay, had a wick in it, and they would fill it full of oil uh, so that it it could burn for a long time. And then they would take the wick and they would trim the wick uh, like my grandmother used to do in her house when I was a little boy, so that the lamp would burn brightly and so that they you know wouldn 't be taken awares when something happened at night and so uh, today uh, you know he would say to us you know, get yourself financially prepared, make sure you're, you're spiritually prepared, make sure your family's prepared, and, and make sure that you are living in such a way that nothing's going to take you by surprise. So that's the reason I just think Reve- book of Revelation is really cool. A lot of people are scared of this book because, uh, you know, so many people say you can't understand it, but it's extremely understandable if you have the Holy Spirit to interpret it, and you let the Bible say what it means. It means what it says, says what it means. There. Euphemisms and metaphors in the Bible, if you understand those, just letting the by letting the Word uh, let you know what they are, and then, if you know a little bit of something about the first century culture, it can really it can really open the Bible in a huge way. so the book of Revelation, the word revelation itself, apocalypsis, really means unveiling and god didn 't put it in a closed way where we can 't understand he wants us to understand so we 're going through it uh, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept verse by verse and we're just going to take it all apart there are some challenging things ahead of the world in our future though they're, they're both wonderful things and challenging things the wonderful things for us as the church is that Jesus is coming back and before he comes back he's going to empower us to minister life in some really negative circumstances and then before the worst comes we'll be whisked away in the rapture of the church how cool is that but we are going to see some negative things and a lot of people don't think so and we'll talk about that at another lesson in the future. But there are some things coming that people need to be aware of. So, uh, you know, don't let, it, don't let the day t- uh, catch you like a thief in the night, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5. So, uh, Jesus appeared to the Apostle John, who was the last uh, of the 12 apostles that was alive. And this is in uh, uh, the um, uh, 90-somethings A.D. when he was, uh, he was on an island uh, because he preached the Word of God. And the uh, Roman emperor was upset with him. And there on the Isle of Patmos, uh, Jesus appeared to him. And understand, you know, it's really uncanny when you think about it. John knew Jesus when he was here on earth and, and spent three and a half years in ministry with him. And here Jesus appears to him in a dazzling light in all of his glory. And not in the way he appeared as the baby in the manger. And, and I'm sure if I was John, I'd be like... Wow, I walked with this guy for three and a half years. This, this is like amazing. So he really took it in, but he wrote it down and really blessed the church. And Jesus wants us to know what's, what is to come. Here's what I believe. If the Holy Spirit's going to show us things to come, then moment by moment, you know, time by time, week by week, month by month, when you need to make some alterations in your life, how many know the Holy Spirit will witness to you? So uh, I appreciate so much the book of Revelation. So We're just going right down into it. Um, Um, So right now we're covering the seven churches, Revelations chapters 2 and 3. There were seven churches in modern-day Turkey in the Bible. Modern-day Turkey was Asia Minor, if you read history history books. Uh, Turkey was Anatolia in history, and if you like history. But nonetheless, there were seven churches on a route, perhaps a postal route, and John perhaps had something to say. Maybe he uh, had an apostolic role over those churches since he was the last apostle, and he said something to them. And and in saying something to these seven churches, perhaps he's saying something to the last generation just before Jesus returned. So if you you come at these letters that Jesus wrote to these churches uh, from the vantage point that he's trying to get a generation ready for his return, warn them of the pitfalls warn them of the challenges and then show them what they should be doing then it'll help us spiritually today that's the vantage point we're coming from as we as we look at these seven churches in revelation chapters two and three we've covered three of them up to this point we'll cover number four today august 21st we talked about the uh, church in ephesus that was this first church that jesus addressed and uh, he told that church, make sure you, you keep your first love. Make sure your relationship with me is as close as it could be. Don't let it be same-o, same How many of know that is a challenging word for today with all of the time wasters and time chasers and things that distract us in our days saying, make sure you keep your first love. If, ever, if you ever feel like you slack off, just the good thing is you can repent. That's what he said to them. And Go back and do the first works. September 11th, we talked about the second church. Jesus' message to the church in Smyrna. Uh, that was the persecuted church. And he told them that persecution is a part of the more normal Christian life. He complimented them for standing under the persecution and encouraged them they should never let down on what they believe, even though their culture's changing. Don't kowtow and yield to the cultural pressure to conform to the culture around live for Jesus, walk with God. And then um, last time, uh, we spoke about the church in Pergamos, or uh, others call it Pergamum, the compromising church. And um, and you know what? It really speaks to America today. Um, the church in America has been challenged to compromise in a huge way. And Jesus wants us to be light in darkness, and we talked about that last week and let me just make a comment a lot of people don't understand spiritual warfare but let me just say and I don't like to make things real ethereal my feet are on on dirt all the time. I walk out my life with God. And, you know, some people that I'm around, they try to make everything ethereal or pie in the sky or you can't really understand. I like to make things bare bones. Life is just daily for me. Life is moment by moment. Is it for you? It's hour by hour. You got to work. You got to take care of your family, raise your children, love your spouse, you know take care of your body, do the necessities to live. At the same time, you want a strong walk with God so you don't compromise in your thought life, in your emotional life, in your relational life, in your personal life. But there are demon forces that are seeking to hinder our relationship with God. And I'm just gonna be honest, my experience right now, I've never had the spiritual pressure that I feel today. And I think everybody feels that way, don't you? And it's just because of the times that we're living in. Jesus is coming back, and uh, the book of Revelation is clear. And if you go read the book of Daniel, other books, uh, what Jesus said in the Gospels, about what is to come, what Paul said in the epistles that he wrote to the churches. There's coming a time that a man of sin called the Antichrist is going to come, and really he has the, an idea he's going to be motivated by Satan himself. But he has the idea that he'll be able to gain the nations of the world together and actually create a one-world entity and just have everybody worship the God that he worships, which is the devil. And, and what goes with that is, there is no, There are no sets of rights there is no set of right or, or wrongs. It's an immoral time. It's a wicked time. It's a time where uh, sexual sin is rampant worldwide. It's a time where everybody does what they want to do. And it, it's a time where it, where it seems like, you know, it, the encouragement from the culture around you is... Why why are you reading the Bible? That's an antiquated book. Why are you praying? That's not going to do any good. Why are you doing this? Because you know those things are unseen, unfelt, and unknown. You need to live for today. That's the ideology and demon spirits push that. So anything that comes to you that wants you to spend less time in the Word, less time in prayer, wants you to be uncommitted to a local church that makes you feel like you can do anything you want to as long as you don't bother anybody else or break a law. You can do what Want, it's the spirit of antichrist how many hear me and that comes to all of us every day it comes to me and I just say Sarah not today not ever how many hear me and I make the decision when I get up every morning today as for me and my house we're going to walk with God and you know if you make that kind of decision it makes a lot of difference how many hear me some people they say well I don't know if you're wishy-washy you're going to fall in a ditch somewhere today so Anyway, uh, the next church that Jesus deals with, church number four, is the church in Thyatira, and uh, we label that one the corrupt church. Let's read those 11 verses. We'll make some comments, and we'll be done. Verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know your works, your love, service, Faith and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. All the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. I give will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say and to, to the rest in Thyatira. As many as do not have this doctrine. Who have not known the depths of Satan as they say. I will put on you no other burden but hold fast. Uh, what you have till I come and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him I will give power over the nations he shall rule them with a rod of iron they shall be dashed, dashed to pieces like potters vessels also as I also have received from my father and I will give him the morning star he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit has to say to the churches. So Thyatira was uh, uh, in not too far distance from the rest of the other six churches in Asia Minor again, modern day Turkey. Some of these. Uh some of these cities exist. Some of them have fallen in ruin. Um, there's not a whole lot known about the city of Thyatira, not a lot of writings about it from Bible days, but enough to give us a really good idea of the kinds of things they were dealing with. Uh, many of the businesses in Thyatira in the first sen- f- century, now what, we'll, we'll make a parallel today with this, but they were dedicated to a god or, or goddesses. And understanding the Roman world, they, they worshiped various gods and these gods really came into existence during the time of the Tower of Babel. Bible scholars believe that's when heathen religions really sprang up in the earth after the uh, after the flood of Noah. And then God dispersed the uh, the people and separated them with language barriers. But uh, but heathen religions and all of them all of them started with a similar background. And all of them, listen to this. All of the heathen religions worshipped, whether it was in the Old Testament, the ones that that really uh, messed up and uh, tripped up the Israelites, and they broke their covenant with God, or in the in the era of the New Testament times, in the Roman era of time, those same those same heathen gods and religions were worshipped. The names changed century by century, perhaps people group by people group, but it was the same entity. It was demon spirits propagating the worship of a God other than the one true God, the God of heaven that we worship, the triune God, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of these gods, if you go read history, and I love to read about this, and all of it says the same thing, Old Testament and first century church, all of this, all that entire time, all of these gods were worshiped with gross sexual immorality, which tells you that demon spirits were 100% involved. These gods were worshipped. This is gross. But when you read, you find these things out. They were worshipped with homosexuality. They were worshipped with lesbianism, pedophilia, sex with children, um, bestiality, sex with animals, uh, just all kinds of orgies and sexual immorality and, and uh You've heard me say these things before, but, you know, as archaeologists in, in my younger days, I used to want to be an archaeologist, so I read about a lot of this stuff. And, uh, but they, they would examine the bones that they, that they dug up from this era of time. And they found in the bones, I've read that they found in the bones of the animals, the bones of the children, in the bones of the parents, all kinds of horrible diseases that are sexual in nature. And those diseases ravish those cultures because of the gross immorality due to worshiping pagan or false gods. How many hear me? And those same demon spirits are seeking to go worldwide to get day with rampant immorality that has a political basis to it. And if you don't toe the political line and say it's okay, then you're banished from people's presence and you're ostracized from fellowship. And you're, you're called names because you disagree. There are demon spirits behind that. How many hear me? And when I talk about this, it gets unusually quiet. If you're listening online, listen intently because we need to hear what's happened before. Because friends, it's happening again. And Thyra Tyler was rampant with... Uh, with, uh, with uh, gross immorality based on the gods, the goddesses that were worshipped in uh, the temples there. Uh, Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. Artemis, that's all the same god. Uh, Artemis, actually, and this is a little gross to say, but if you look, at, you can go find pictures of this. You can look up Artemis. Google will show you. And you'll find a picture of a statue a God. And it's a woman. That has dozens and dozens all over the front of her body, breasts. Uh, The idea behind that is everybody can come and be immoral with that God. It's the God of sexuality. And that God was worshipped with gross, gross orgies. I know it's weird to talk about that in a local church. But friends, we're dealing with the same exact things today. And then uh, the businesses got, now watch this. The businesses got involved in the worship of the false gods. And it helped pollute the culture because everybody had to eat. Everybody had to pay for their dwelling. Everybody had to clothe their children. Everybody had to have money to survive. And many of them survived by having little small businesses. And if you want your small business to prosper, you better honor the God of the city. And you better do what everybody else did or they'll ostracize you, not buy your goods. And then what you're going to do? You're going to starve to death, lose your family. You're going to be out on the street. You'll be living in the field. The same kinds of things are happening today. The seedbed, but the same things are happening in America today. And most people don't know and don't care. But thank God we're the wise and Jesus has given us wisdom. And how many know we should know? Huh? So many of, uh, many of the social events in Thyatira held around the worship of these false gods. And see, the Christians were tempted for financial reasons to get involved in the worship of these gods. The gods, Thyatira, was a center of commerce. There was a tremendous spiritual warfare that would perhaps parallel what we're dealing with, beginning to deal with in America today. And it's not so subtle anymore as it used to be. Uh, the Ephesus church, they left their first love, Smyrna church. They were persecuted seriously. Pergamus Church, we talked about last time, was full of compromise. But the, Thyatira, the church in Thyatira, they actually embraced heresy. And then we're going to talk about it tonight. So look at verse 18 again. Let's give some explanation. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Notice he says here, these things says The Son of God. Now, this is the only time, and it's really strange to say but it's true, only time in the book of Revelation that Jesus is addressed as the Son of God. You say, well, now why why would Jesus address himself as the Son of God to the church in Thyatira? I submit to you because he was wielding his authority and saying, look, I am God made flesh. And you need to listen to what I got to say because you're messing up and you're messing up Real badly. I'm not just another man. I'm God made flesh. And you need to hear me out. Then it says, his eyes were flames of fire. When it says Jesus' eyes were flames of fire, that's reminding us. His eyes see clear through everything he looks at. When I first came to the Lord in one of the scriptures I memorized, because it kind of shocked me, really. Uh, Hebrews 4.13, which says, There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open, the King James Version says, naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, I was an 18-year-old boy when I read that. I thought, man, you mean God sees everything. And my little brain said, he sees me all the time. He sees me naked. He sees me. He sees me under the covers. He sees me under the cover of dark. I'm trying to hide, but he, his eyes exposed everything how many hear me and you know it gave me a new respect for jesus and a new respect for everything comes to light when you walk with god and how many know god wants us to have the kind of relationship with him that we walk in the light then we're not trying to hide anything and if you've got any uh any idiosyncrasies to sin to do wrong uh to hide yourself you know what you need to do say god you know everything about me you say what i'm thinking You see what I want to do. Don't forget, we bring all kinds of habits from our past life. And and some of those habits are not nice. We have mental habits. We have emotional habits. We have physical habits. And we have private habits that nobody knows about, but Jesus knows about them. And sometimes they bother you as a believer. I I brought habits from my my little teenage life into my life with God. I, I brought habits that came from my family, habits of conversation, habits of thought, Habits of thinking about myself. Habits, physical habits. And Jesus, you know, one by one came to me, and you'll find he'll do that to you. I said, can we talk about that? You've been doing that for 30 years. Can we talk about why you're doing that today? Can I help you? How many know his eyes see all? Isn't that cool? Then he says, then he says, these things says, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. Now, that's masked until you understand what brass represented now in several of the commentaries I read from which are really good ones uh, they give you the basis for some of the word usages here and I don't usually give you the Greek words because you wouldn't remember them anyway but this word here for brass, brass here is a reference for Jesus uh, being the judge and judgment for sin he comes to judge sin he judged sin in his own body on the tree so that we being dead to sin might live for God right? Uh, but then he also judges and and it 's really a reference to the old testament to the uh, to the sacrifices that the priests made there in the temple grounds the uh the uh, artifacts that were used to to uh, to provide the the um, the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, where the blood was would cover the sins of the Israelites for a year. Those artifacts and even the altar itself—they were made of bronze. They were made of an alloy that gleamed brightly, and that's where the sacrifice or the judgment for sin occurred that abated the justice of God for one year over the Israelites. And that's the same word uses when it says that Jesus. Jesus' feet were like fine brass. He's saying he's coming, he sees everything, and he's coming as a judge. And you know, the only only thing that will be judged is sin that will not allow itself to be exposed. Sin that will not humble itself under his mighty hand. Sin that is held on to, and you can't prosper doing that. That's the stuff where judgment comes. Also speaks of the fact that Jesus, if you'll humble yourself, expose your sin. Jesus is the one that cleanses sin because sin was judged in His own body when He bore bore it on the cross. Is that good news? So He His feet were like fine brass. Then it says, verse nineteen, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. They say getting better. you're not staying where you were. That's good news, right? A lot of people today, you know, they preach and teach as though your works don't matter to God. That's just not true. You don't find anything Old and New Testament. In fact, I did a word search uh, several years ago and just did the word works Old and New Testament. There's so many scripture references, not my subject tonight, but so many scripture references that God sees our works. God sees our works. God sees our works. You hear people today say, Well, God never, Jesus never looks at your works. He said, Here to these folk, I know your works. How many know Jesus knows what you do? And again, separate that we're not saved by what we do, but what we do produces things. And what we don't realize as believers is every day we're accruing. Uh, things of value in heaven every time we say yes to the word of God every time we say yes to the Holy Spirit every time we obey God every time we help someone in obedience to his voice every time we do something to promote the kingdom of God whether it's prayer fellowship with somebody encouraging someone you're accruing things in heaven there are rewards in heaven for living right And a lot of people, the way they talk, your works don't matter. No, no, no. Your works make a lot of difference. They really determine our place in eternity. How many want to shine bright? How many want to have something? You know, we used to sing that song in the Baptist church where they talk about casting their crowns. Before the glassy sea or, the, or the, the expanse of the golden ground in front of the throne of God. And, and it talks about the elders casting. They took the crowns that Jesus gave them as rewards for what they did. And they were so glad to see the, the him that they bowed down and they wanted to give him something. So they gave him their rewards. Cast them at his feet. We used to sing a song in the Baptist church, must I go in empty handed... Must I meet my Savior? So Must I go and empty-handed, must I empty-handed go? An empty-handed person in heaven is a person who lived to satisfy their flesh, who never obeyed God, who rarely ever read their Bible, prayed, sought God, or tried to help someone else live to appease their flesh. That's a person empty-handed. How many don't want to go to heaven that way? Hello. So he says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your... Patience as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, let me say this also. You know, a lot of times you do something for God and maybe, maybe I don't recognize it or maybe mirror our staff team. You're working in some area of the ministry here. Maybe nobody says, maybe for a period of time, we just kind of mess up, get slack and don't say, you know, add a boy, add a girl, doing good, good job, thank you, thank you for, you know, God always sees. How many of you do Jesus always see? You give a cup of cold water to a thirsty person, God sees. How many hear I me? Mean, it's the smallest things that he sees. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is none unrighteous. It's amplified. To forget or overlook your labor and the love which you've shown for his namesake in ministering to the needs of the saints, his own consecrated people. Galatians 6.10, so let's not get tired of doing what's good. And just at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up, therefore, Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those of the family of faith. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I read these verses just to encourage me. You ever get tired of doing what you do? I felt sometimes like I'm a rat on a treadmill. Man, I'm going after it, and it never stops. I mean, this week particularly, I have been, I mean, I get up early, go to bed late. So I still had not finished all i got to do, you know? And so he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Is that good news? And so Jesus commended their works. He says, I know, I understand. So if, if you don't get accolades from someone around here, every once in a while we're gonna say, Thank you, add a boy, add a girl, thank you. But if we don't know, Jesus does. Right? Then verse twenty says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, there she is again, who calls herself a prophetess. To uh, teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I'll cast her in a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into a great tribulation or a period of hard time, excessive pressure, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her with her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to you. There it is again, according to your works. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as do many who, who as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put no, uh, on you no other burden. So this la- this lady, there was a lady in Thyatira, her name was I don't think her name was Jezebel, but Jesus referred to her uh, as, as, the, as, as the wife of the Old Testament King Abab. Her name was Jezebel, and she really helped involve Israel into rampant, rank, nasty immorality that really broke their fellowship with God in a terrible way. She tried to rule her husband she tried to rule the day, and everybody did what she wanted to do. And she caused the people to go astray. And so most people that I've read after say this or this, this was a lady. We don't know if it was a pastor's wife. But it was some influential person, a lady, in the church in Thyatira. And Jesus um, gives her the name Jezebel just as a description of what she was doing and what kind of influence she had on the church there in Thyatira. Um, in uh, Thyatira, and uh, is she's mentioned again in Pergamus, but uh, nonetheless, uh, or the name Jezebel is uh, nonetheless, um, she taught the church members that you could be a Christian and and still be involved in all kinds of sex. That really it didn't didn't matter what sexual orientation you were, as long as you're a believer, regardless of what you do, you're going to heaven. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like anything you've heard in America in recent years? Now, that's what was being taught there, and and uh, so the reasons that that people said it must be okay, she also taught they could worship Jesus, but also worship the pagan gods in the temples around Thyatira, and uh, these gods again were worshipped in ridiculously nasty sexual orgies. Uh, with actually paid pagan temple prostitutes, so the men would get married, and I mention this when I talk about First Corinthians and the church in Corinth. The men would get married to have children with their wife, but they would still go visit the pagan temples, and they could pay a prostitute. It was legal; Rome allowed it. They could pay a temple prostitute. And they would be in, intimate with a prostitute. And they were still doing that after they got saved in Corinth. And Paul said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh don't be doing that. And Jezebel and Thyatira said, that's okay. You enjoy the temple, enjoy the temple. You're once saved, you're always saved. You're just going to heaven. You name the name Jesus. It don't matter what you do with your physical body. And nothing could be further from the truth. And Jesus got on them very, very sternly. Because of what she was teaching them. Uh, another problem. So again. Um, she taught them they could sin with their body. and Enjoy temple sex. Let me read through this. Because I'm looking at the clock. And it would not affect their spiritual life. And it degraded their conduct and belief. And that degradation was called the depths of Satan. What does that refer to? That's a person. Although they say they were saved. They were still involved in all of these terrible sexual sins because of the paganism that was in their culture so jesus called it there the depths of satan another problem in thyatira was eating meat sacrificed to idols now listen to this city of of thyatira was known for its many artisans they made all kinds of garments wool linen leather bronze they had numerous trade guilds we call them unions today um and these people manufactured clothes. They created dyes to make different colors of clothes. They were potters, bakers. They traded slaves. Anything you can imagine that a person would use in a small business that created things that people use in everyday life. Uh, Thyatira was known for that. It was a really center of commerce in that area. And here's the issue. The trade unions, they call them trade guilds then, were part of uh, pagan deities and their worship. Listen to this. So... so. Um, the trade unions provided common meals in the pagan temples where each worker would bring some food offered in sacrifice to an idol. And so everybody would bring their food to work. They're bringing their lunch. Maybe they'd stay, had a long day. They're staying for, for supper. And they bring their food. They go into the temple, sacrifice a portion of the food to the idol sacrifice all of the food to the idol. The priest takes enough to feed himself and then gives the worshiper back the food that's been sacrificed to an idol. You know, when I say this, my mind goes, I've been to India so many times and the, the lays of flowers, the fruit, the, the apples, the lemons, the limes, the oranges that I've seen that were laid down. To an idol of various kinds in various places I've been in India uh, they, they were sacrificed to those gods To appease those gods And that's what the people in Thyatira did They would bring their lunch, whatever it was Meat, whatever, their sandwiches sacrifice it to a god And then bring, just you know leave a portion for the priest So he could eat And then they would bring the rest back And, and um, Jezebel said, this lady said It's alright to do that She taught the practice was just fine but what it did, listen to what it did. Here's what it did. You say, well, what's wrong with that, Pastor Mitch, if the, if the pagan's nothing but a demon anyway? What's the big deal if you eat uh, food that's sacrificed in a pagan temple to a pagan god? What's the big deal, and why did Jesus get upset about Jezebel telling everybody it's okay to do that? Because it dumbed down their conscience. And they got to where repeatedly, over and over, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And maybe they even work like we do sometimes on Saturdays. And maybe maybe they work Sundays too. You know what? They would do that. And because day after day, they were so accustomed to people, you know, honoring an idol with their food and eating the food. They saw nothing wrong with idol worship. It dumbed their conscience down to the point that, well, so what? The people are going in the temple and they have an orgy, sexual orgy. So what? So what? There's no problem. God loves everybody. For God so loved the world. God loves us all. And Jezebel was telling everybody that that was okay. Now, friend, the same kind of thing is happening today worldwide, particularly in the Western world, particularly now in America. And somewhere, at some point, somebody's got to draw a line in the sand and say, we're not doing that. How many hear me? To do it today is to, for people to look down their nose at you. So we are on the verge. Listen to what I just wrote this down just before I, I was in my office. I've got to write this down. Listen to what I wrote down. Say so we're on the verge of being challenged on so many levels now since the LGBTQ agenda has become politically and socially acceptable. How many know what the LGBTQ agenda is? Everybody know what LGBTQ is? If you don't, you probably hadn't left your house in the last few years or turned on a TV or a radio or anything or, or the Internet. So, nonetheless, uh, so so here's the issue. Should you attend? So, here's the challenge we have today. So, businesses, just like in Thyatira, businesses are saying, we're having LGBTQ day today. We want you to dress in apparel that honors that. Get you some rainbow colors and honor the lesbians. Honor the homosexuals. Honor honor the transgender people. Honor the queer people among us. Honor the bisexuals among You honor them. If you dishonor them, you're dishonoring our business. And you know why businesses are doing that? Because they want to make sure that their money comes in. They want to make sure that they can make just as absolutely as much money as they possibly can. And this, is, this uh, a sinful thing has become a political agenda. And now it ostracizes you if you disagree with it to the point that if you don't go along with it, you can lose your job. Yes or no? That is exactly what was happening in Thyatira. You were marginalized. You were set aside. If you didn't go in the temple, take your food, Worship an idol with it, then bring your food back. And then if you said anything about anybody going in to have sex with the prostitutes, what's wrong with you? That's to- Nobody's going to come to your business if you say they shouldn't be going in there to do that. We're going to go buy our clay pots from somebody else. We're going to go buy our meat from somebody else. We're going to go buy our clothes from somebody else. Because you know what? You're not towing the political line. And my friends, that is what is happening in America today. Yes or no? Should you attend social activities sponsored by your employer? Same-sex weddings, parades. Those are questions people ask me as a pastor. Pastor, you know, I've got a relative. I've got an uncle, an aunt, a cousin, a nephew, a friend. And and they're marrying, uh, a man's marrying a man, a girl's marrying a girl. And they want me to come to the wedding, and, and that means I need to buy a gift, and I'm going to be there as the, I would say, pseudo-minister marries two people, same sex. Should I go because I love them, because I want to share Jesus with them? Should I go because I respect them? That's a that's a real big deal, isn't it? And those are questions all of us have to answer. And so it's a big deal in Thyatira. It was a big deal today. And... Uh, uh, anyway, the believers there were told it was okay to do all these things. And, and I want to challenge you, at some point, somebody's got to stand against the things that are wrong in American culture. Are we going to fail and fail miserably? And the church, let me say this, the churches that choose to toe the political line and not call sin, sin, will eventually fail in the United States of America. How many hear what I'm saying? God will withdraw the anointing. How many hear me? The temple in the Old Testament, they wrote over it, Ichabod, the Spirit of the Lord has departed from. These are hard things to say. And it doesn't make what I'm saying popular. But my friends, I I challenge you to show me that I'm wrong. From the scriptures. What does the Bible say? We have the same kinds of challenges. Jezebel was telling everybody, it's okay to do this. And that's not what Jesus was saying. And now, for the last number of years, say for the last nine or ten years, or even more perhaps in some circles, we've got an exaggerated message of grace that is being taught particularly in the western world the grace meaning that you know you can be a homosexual and a Christian you can be a practicing lesbian and a Christian you can you can uh, be involved in a sexual relationship you're living some, with someone and you're not married but you know what because God forgives sin and for, for God so lo- God loves you so much you made Jesus Lord he understands where you're at he knows you have a sexual desire and of course you know you need to fulfill that and that's the kind of things that are that are being taught everything's okay. And friends, that is not, that's what was going on in Thyatira. And that's what raised Jesus' ire so much. And that's why that was the church of corruption, the church that was preaching false doctrine. How many hear me? You go through the New Testament, God had something to to say about sin among his people. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Apostle Paul said, When we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, so we'll not be condemned By the world, there was a man in 1 Corinthians 5 who was having uh, sex with his stepmother. That's not even known among pagans during the time. Ridiculous. And he gave the man space to repent. He didn't, so he turned him over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh, so his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And my friends, how many know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? So here's a question I have for me and every pastor and churches all across America. Why are churches not talking about what the Bible says? Do you have an answer? What is the answer? Why are pastors not saying anything? This is what I preached all summer long. It gets unusually quiet when I talk about these things. Because you never hear anybody willing to say anything about it. Because you know what? When you say these things, you're going to get persecuted. How many hear me? Are you willing to speak up when you have a friend that's a homosexual? You have a friend that's a lesbian? You have a a family member at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, and they're wanting to talk to you about spiritual things and how much they love Jesus? Are you going to say nothing because you don't want to offend them? Are you going to lovingly say, you know what, Jesus loves you. But right is right and wrong is wrong. And what you're involved in is sin. How many know the Bible says open rebuke is is, is better than carefully concealed love? Yes or no? You know, if you've got a child that's doing something wrong and you know in 10 years when you're not in their life, they keep doing that. They're going to lose their job, lose their house, lose their car, perhaps even lose their life because somebody won't put up with it. How many know you don't love your child if you're not honest? Yes or no? I'm not saying be unkind. You've got to be loving about these things. But how many know we also need to be, we need to be forthright about what is right and what is wrong? Yes or no? And it is the love of God. Jesus had his, his denunciations against the Pharisees and the religious people of his day who were, who were telling people how to live but weren't living that way themselves. How many hear me? It's quiet in here. So he said in verse 21, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, speaking of Jezebel and all the people that went with her in the city of Thyatira. She did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her in, in, into a sick bed. Now, why did he say that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Jesus turned that young man that was involved in sexual immorality over to the devil, so that his flesh could be hindered, so that his spirit would be saved in the day that Jesus returns. He did it. And so Jesus said, You know what? I'm taking my protection off this lady Jezebel. She's going to get sick. How I many you know sometimes God allows that if a person won't listen, they won't repent. Repeatedly, 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 somebody comes. They hear the word, preached They read the word. They hear something. The Holy Spirit saying, "You need to stop that, stop that, stop that." You're leading not only yourself but other people astray. Stop, 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 stop. At some point, sometimes God had to say, "Enough is enough," and that's what Jesus said to this woman Jezebel. He said, "She's going to get sick." I'm going to cast her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. That's not talking about the end time before Jesus comes back. That's talking about hardship, difficulty. Sometimes difficulty comes from God when a person chooses to live wrong and influence others to live wrong. At some point, Jesus says, no more. Yes or no? Well, that's a challenging word, is it not? Then it says, I'll kill her children with death. He said, if you don't repent, my hand of protection is off of you. And you know what? You could even, you could get to the point if you don't repent. The healing power can't come because you're blocking it with your lifestyle and with your seared conscience and with your reprobate living. You know what? You may even die. Her children's not referring to physical children. for referring to her spiritual children. So it says, uh, you shall know that I am he who searches the mind and heart's I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you, I say, the rest in Thyatira, as to many who have not this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as I say, I will put on you no other burden. then lastly, he goes on to say, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. You know, if we'll just walk with Jesus do as will put up with the persecutions that come because we've refused to compromise. Jesus said the day will come when he comes back and that we will help him rule the nations of the world in his 1,000-year rule. How many know he's going to use believers in glorified bodies to help him? Yes or no? It's kind of an exciting time. That's what he's referring to. He says he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I have also received from my fathers. Some nations that exist today, according to Matthew 25, will not exist after Jesus comes back. Because they were rebellious nations. They would not listen to the word of God. And they will be defeated by the Lord Jesus when he comes. That's what he's referring to there. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. We are living today in a day of tremendous compromise. And it is amazing to me. The very day that the church needs to open our mouth and lovingly share Jesus with others. We're afraid to do so. Yes or no? We're afraid on our jobs. I'm not saying to go on your job and speak Elizabethan English, but I'm saying when God gives you an opportunity and opens the door in the context of natural, normal conversation, and you're talking with someone one-on-one, maybe it's after work, maybe you've gone to lunch at a restaurant. I'm not saying go to work and say, now hear this, I disagree with the boss and hierarchy here. You're stupid to do that. But in your social conversations and in the settings, at some point, sometimes you have to make choices. And if your business, for instance, you know, toes the LGBTQ line and says, you know what, if you work here, you have to embrace here. I want you to be here on LGBTQ day, and I want you to do what we do, and I want you to eat a piece of cake with us. What are you going to do? Some of us are already dealing with these things. And so many believers compromise. And that's the reason we're losing our mooring spiritually. And that's the reason the church has lost its power. Because we're not willing to confront and call sin what it is today. How many hear what I'm saying? Jesus had to come to the church in Thyatira. He had these very strong things to say. He loved them, but they were losing their culture. They were losing their city. And my friends, if, if we don't somehow wake up, we're going to lose the nation that has been one of the greatest nations in history called the United States of America. How many hear what I'm saying? So these things need to be made a matter of prayer. You know, me doing this, you say, well, pastor, you know what? People are going to stop coming. I understand what people are saying about that. And all I know is I have to obey the Lord. I'm not doing what I do to make money. I'm not doing what I do to build a big church and have lots of people come my goal is not to have people come to have a big church my goal is to minister life by the holy ghost to people that means i have to do what i got to do and i got to call sin sin i got to call right right i got to call wrong wrong if the government ever says you got to stop saying that or we are going to take your 501c3 away i said we'll do whatever you need to do i have to obey god rather than men our free speech rights eventually as i've said it many times are going to be affected by all of these things unless we stand up and take a stand jezebel is ruling the united states today and what are we going to do about it what are you going to do about it on the job what are you going to do about it in in your prayer life all of this starts on our knees how many hear what i'm saying i'm not saying go out be a rebel tyrant And run everybody off and make everybody mad. What I am saying stands up for what is right. And when you're having conversations with someone, call it what it is and lovingly share the truth of God's word so that he can set people free.